Welcome back to Beyond Well, a program for people who want to explore our interior lives. We're so grateful for the support of Active Recovery TMS, providing transcranial magnetic stimulation in a neighborhood near you. Active Recovery TMS has an incredible success rate, especially for people whose antidepressants have stopped working. And Dr. Preetham Raj is now offering individual therapy to augment your treatment. Find out more at activerecoverytms.com. We're so committed here at Beyond Well to looking at all of the factors that make up our mental well-being, including some of the external things that can rob us of good health. Say you're in the wrong job or the wrong relationship or maybe even living in the wrong city. You can begin to feel as if you're living outside of your value system and that has a huge impact on mental health. We're talking with people who made deliberate decisions to return to their authentic selves and honor their individual hopes and dreams by making huge changes to their lives. These are incredible stories of courage and I think real resilience, and I hope you enjoy them. Our next guest is a visual artist who has worked with mixed media for over 30 years. Her work is symbolic and dreamlike. It's often abstract. She has occasional figurative and landscape elements in her paintings. And she was really well regarded as an artist until she had this hankering to write. And she took many years out of her life to write a novel that was also incredibly well received. The reason I wanted to talk to Julia was because she made a really important decision as she was out marketing her book and finding herself more and more fatigued and defeated by the process of actually selling yourself as a writer. And that was that she actually didn't want the life that she thought that she had created for herself. That's an inc incredible thing to do, to just say, I made a mistake. Julia Stoops, welcome to the program. You know, that's where a lot of people end up is not where they expect. There's like a really big tension between our culture's love affair with you know, taking your life in your hands and making it what you will and, and so on and what actually happens in a lot of people's lives. I love that you, first of all, bring that up. The reality of people's lives is so different than the narrative arc. I think that the narrative arc is, it's, it can be so toxic. It's, it's hard not to compare yourself with that. I'm guessing a lot of people feel this, especially in a, in a world where this narrative keeps going on and there's so many stories about people who decided to do something and then it happened. And it's hard not to put yourself in some kind of comparison. It's like, well, yeah. I decided to do something. I really tried hard to make it happen and it didn't happen. Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. No Which matter is like many, everybody oh, I who ever played the lottery. I mean, yeah, come on, yeah. you know? <laughs> right, right. We, we all accept that that's the reality of playing that game. Why not every other game that we play? So in your own life, did you make that diversion thinking, this is what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to be a writer instead? Or was this I just want to write this one book. I would say it was the latter. I had no ambitions to be identify as a writer because I was comfortable identifying as a visual artist and I knew that territory really well. And I, I actually didn't tell anyone initially when I started writing the book because I couldn't explain it to myself what, why I was doing it. I had no way of explaining to other people why I was doing it. I 
certainly didn't feel I was excited about doing it, but I didn't have this sort of sense of pride of like, I'm now a writer. It was almost like, I'm doing this writing. It's really fun, but I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. It's just this fun ride I'm on right now. And I, I actually didn't even tell anyone for like a year. I wrote that book in secret for a year because I was obsessed with it. And then once I started telling people that was when I connected up with Harold Johnson, who invited me into the Pinewood Table Writers Group. Yeah, I wrote this thing and and I know I didn't write it very well, but maybe there's a way I could make it better. Do you know anyone who can like look at my manuscript? And he was like, well, I know a writer's group where you figure that stuff out. Yeah. So my impression, and this is, of course, knowing nothing about your backstory, is that you were probably one of those people from Iowa writers that you were probably teaching writing somewhere, oh, oh, that you okay. were an accomplished <laughs> manuscript writer. Isn't that hilarious? That's, that's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. When I started at the Pinewood Table, I was so green, but I was also very unencumbered by baggage. Mm, and yeah. so I was just like everything Stephen and Joanna said, I was like, yeah, I'll try that. Mm. Sure, I'll try that. Because it was yeah. just, it was fun. I was just there for the fun, yeah. you know? And wow. I wasn't like, I didn't have other writing teachers like in the back of my head telling me yeah. things and so on. So. so how did it impact that sense of grace that you were talking about to actually finish that and have it published and be received in such a beautiful way? Hmm. Interesting question. Well, I felt like the the journey of writing it was the meaningful part because of the narrative of what you do with an, an output like that is that you get it published and so on. And, and I totally bought into that. I mean, why wouldn't a person buy into that? I didn't have a reason not to. I got It got kind of tangled up with like desire, you know, desire to get it published, desire to get it recognized, desire to get it known and seen and, and so on. And that actually kind of was a bit of an entanglement, to be honest. I don't regret publishing the book or anything. To me, that felt like I was kind of sweeping up the remains after the after the party. The party had happened. Oh my god! Everyone had gone home. I was left tidying things up, and so it was hard work. That whole publishing part was really hard work. And like I said, I don't regret doing it. And I've got a published book. I mean, it's certainly easier to say to people. I have a published book, then I have a book in my drawer. But at the same time, it kind of felt like that wasn't the point of, of why I did it. I did it for the I did it for the ride. Like something kind of got into me. Something compelled me to do that. Do you use that example when you're examining your life choices now as to is this the writing part or is this the publishing part? Do you mm -hmm. use that as the metaphor for mm -hmm. what you're willing to do now? Yeah, I use it for, um, I'm very, I felt like it was kind of a, a lesson in that regard. As I got back into my visual art, which was a little hard to get back into because I kind of lost momentum for a few years. And I'd also, I got back into visual art, into an art scene that was different, you know, like just lack of art writing, fewer galleries, like a lot of things that kind of closed down. And so there were just fewer opportunities and I, I had some 
shows and so on, but they got almost no recognition, which was really unusual because, you know, when I was a younger artist and there were art writers and, you know, I would get reviews, just like I could almost count on getting a review, photo photography and stuff. And, and I was just like, wow, I'm just like, everything's gone silent. I did have a show at Up4 that got reviewed in Art in America, which was like a huge coup. That was just amazing. Yeah. But then after that, just like crickets, just nothing, you know. The whole experience of the writing and just observing how free and open I was with the writing because I went into it with no baggage mm -hmm. and really no expectations other than I just want to do it better and have more fun with it and so on. I started applying that to my art and I, I made a conscious decision to stop trying to have an art career and stop muddying the art creation with the whole thing of would this go in a gallery? Is it archival? If someone bought it, could I guarantee that it's archival? Like all of these considerations that kind of get in your head when you're thinking about you're making something, but you're kind of also thinking of the audiences for it. Yeah. And so it's just like, I'm just, I don't care if I never have a show again. I'm just going to make my art because that is, that's the secret sauce. It's, um, you know, it's one of those things that's really easy to, for me to slip back into a certain mindset. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I just keep reminding myself, this is like, just keep making work, just keep making work. That's all that matters. And and now that I have this full-time job, I'm working in an office, even though a lot of time I work from home, but I'm in an office job. And, and, and what is the office job? I run the web department at a PR company, and it's quite of a older, like a very well-established PR company, kind of corporate communications, B2B, like education, yeah. energy, healthcare, that kind of yeah. thing. So I run their web department. So we make websites for our clients, but I don't work in PR. I don't work in crisis communications. I'm kind of this, you know, the side yeah. department. It's nice because it's a more contained type of job description for sure. Yeah. It's a small company. It's a good company to work for and so on. Prior to this, I'd never had an office job. That seemed like a wonderful job for a writer or a creator because it just didn't seem like it was like, okay, all hands on deck. You're going to be working till midnight type experience, you know? We're trying to keep keep that kind of thing down, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. wonderful. I was like, I'm envious. And health benefits, wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, you know, all of that stuff is so good. Yes. For years, I lived in this state of just precarity, you know, yeah. you know, running my own business, you know, just not knowing what the revenue fluctuations. Okay. Yes. You know, what's so fascinating about your story, focusing on how you truly identify what the external forces are that are changing your internal compass. For us as writers, it was, are you going to get published? Who's mm -hmm. your agent? What's the deal? How many bookstores are you like, you know, all those are external ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet, if you think about when a woman is characterized as a writer, what else is there besides those things? There's none of, nobody says her internal clock was joyful because every day she got to sit down and form sentences that made her alive. Nobody says, yeah. like nobody speaks about the part of writing that's actually good. Yeah, yeah. All focused on the parts that most writers find really, really difficult. It's ironic, isn't it? Yeah. I've never met more people who nearly go into psychosis because of 
writer and publicity tours and the demands of that second half of the job, they just are not well suited to it. Yeah, yeah. Think about the job of writing. It is a very internal, really quiet and very spiritual experience. That other part is the worst of capitalism. In my it is mind. the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So yeah. I love that you've actually used that as a metaphor for other choices that you're making. Like, okay, is this the writing or is this the publishing? I love that. It just make it really rings true to me. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Just that sense of what it means to write and what it means to publicize oneself and the pressures of that. I mean, it's, it's kind of awful to hear that you've, that you know people who've entered almost psychosis but at the same time to hear that is almost reassuring because I had a really hard time with my self-publicity I felt like I had no way of expressing that you know one isn't supposed to say this is really hard for me you know one isn't supposed to say I don't really want to do that this thing that you want me to do I don't want to do that it's making me anxious just thinking about like you, right. you can't say that you just got to be grateful for the fact that right. you know someone is publishing you and yeah. and so on and so it puts you in kind of a horrible position of just yeah. saying yes to things that your heart says no to and a horrible position of I mean there were some things I just put my foot down about you know I just refused to do a national tour you know, you just do an instant cost-benefit analysis. It's like, if I go to San Francisco and come back, that's X number of days off work, that's a plane flight, that's a hotel, you know, that's like X number of hundreds of dollars. I would have to sell X number of books to even just break even on that stupid task. Plus, I would be exhausted. Yeah, It wouldn't be fun <laughs> because I don't like doing things like that. And I'd just be like, no, it's not. How could this be worth it? I would hope that there there's going to be a way soon that people don't ever have to do book tours. Yeah. The travel yeah. around the country is eliminated. It doesn't even make sense. If someone is already super, super famous, then a book tour will bring their fans. Yeah. But if someone is an unknown like me, the book tour will bring your friends and family. Unless they're just like one of these diehard people who has nothing to do on a Thursday night or something and goes to every single book launch. It's like, why would someone show up if, if you're a complete unknown? So, Is there any way you can think about fast forwarding and using this in your decision about an older relationship, an older place to live or to retire, an older place to be? Well, that was a really instructive part of my life for me that will inform these other stages. Mm. It's interesting that you bring that up because those questions are in the back of my mind, the next stage of my life, where that will be. Would it even be in the United States? Would we go back to New Zealand? And I'm trying to think of those questions in relationship with my husband. You know, he's on a somewhat different schedule. He's got different needs or ideas about what an ideal future would be. And so it's one of those things where there's like a lot of details sort of spinning around but nothing is remotely solidified but in terms of what you said thinking about the lesson I learned from the writing I do know that whatever choices I make I need to protect some part of myself I think a lot of things are negotiable but that's not negotiable yeah. I certainly do want to be in a situation where I'm not working for money like I'm able to retire 
that in itself is up in the air in terms of what timeline that might be on. Because it's really only been the last few years that I've been able to earn enough income to create retirement accounts. Do you know when you say, I know there's a part of me that I need to protect, what part is that? Is that your artistry? Is that your faith? Is that your physical health? What is it in every woman that is, that part is non-negotiable for me? What is that non-bending, non-negotiable part where we're like, no, this is actually going to be mine. This is mine. I would say it's the creative work, the creative process in the studio. That is the thing that if I suspend it or give it up, I have to know that it's only very temporary. Okay, I'm going to be like super busy at work for the next couple of weeks, plus other things going on. I know I'm not going to get into the studio, but I promise you to myself, you know, you will be back in the studio as soon as humanly possible. Because without that, I I really do start to go kind of nutty. I mean, I, I can feel like a mental health <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like I'm getting kind of detached from myself. Usually when that happens, I'm also very overwhelmed with other things that are going on that are preventing me from taking time out for the studio. And, you know, I can have panic attacks. It, you know, it's just not healthy in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that is the, that is the thing. And then I would say maybe second to that is, is my health because I'm a, a cancer survivor. And so I'm just very aware of like, yeah. it's absolute vigilance, absolute vigilance in constant taking care of the physical side is nurturing the physical side is not negotiable. What year did you battle cancer and what type? Um, I had breast cancer. It, it was diagnosed in 2010. So quite a while ago now, I was really young. Oh. It was kind of strangely young and you know, everyone was like, because mm, it's not in my family. Like, no one could really figure out sort of a reason why I had it. I didn't have the gene. So anyway, uh, it was IDC stage one and I got treatment and, you know, I get surveillance every year yeah. and I come up clear every year. So all's good. I have been asked by my editor to write a second book on, on mental health and well-being, And I kept, I, had the biggest writer's block for the longest time. I was trying to write a book about um, adolescent mental health and the difficulty, especially that privileged kids have coming there in a really rough way right now. Mm -hmm. I cannot get into another depressing book. I just can't. It's uh, the world is depressing enough right now. What is hopeful to me? And I began talking to women about like how they were really reimagining their lives and not in a way of like, I'm becoming a musician after, you know, never singing. It was like, no, I actually am returning to this quiet, beautiful place that was always there that I wasn't attending to. I'm talking to women about like what that quiet place is. Mm -hmm. What are the lessons that allowed them to get there? What are the daily habits and routines that they've changed because they know they have to attend? And how do they envision that helping them as they age, even into further brackets? And so it's mm. kind of the story. And you know how uh, uh, nonfiction over the age of 50 goes, but f- come Julia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that whole, that whole publishing industry thing of like, how you have to be a certain age. And oh, I know. Who buys the majority of books? And yeah. how many young people are actually wise enough that we really want to listen to them. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the 
the metaphor and your story is so powerful to me. It's really a good one. It's well, that's, so that's great. I'm, I'm glad that that hit the right note there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely did. And it's really always so good to see you. I just, thanks, thanks for spending the time today. Julie. Thank you. It's so really good to see you. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful to talk. All Bye. the best. Bye. Bye.